0: Ancestor. Written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. Performed by the author. Ancestor is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit ScottSigler.com slash Ancestor. 6.52 AM. The Arctic cat rode heavy under the weight of three men, but it reached the Sikorsky. Had the monsters heard the snowmobile's whine? Were they coming? Colding brought the sled to a stop. Rumkorff scrambled off and climbed into the helicopter, mittened hands shutting the door behind him. Clayton stayed on the back of the snowmobile, his good arm wrapped loosely around Colding's waist. Colding revved the engine, making it as loud as possible. He had to draw them in so he'd know where they were, know they were behind him, If he drove right to the old town, the creatures could attack at any point along the way. They might even be in the old town already. And if they were, how could he save Sarah? He scanned the tree line, but saw no movement. Colding revved the sled's engine again. The motor's whine filled the clearing, bounced off the hangar, so loud it hurt his ears. The smell of exhaust filled his nose. Colding felt Clayton's grip around his waist change from a manly barely holding onto you to a clutching, desperate grip of fear. Sweet Jesus, Clayton said. A quarter mile away, the creatures broke from the trees and poured onto the landing strip. At least thirty of them, huge and strong and savage, a phalanx of muscle and teeth. Clayton, hold tight! Colding gunned the throttle. The arctic cat still felt a bit sluggish, but free of Rumkorf's extra 150 pounds, the machine raced back up the one-lane road toward the mansion. Colding turned right at the main road, following the same path Magnus had taken. He'd outdistance the creatures and have maybe ten minutes to gather up Sarah and Tim, if they were still alive. Then, if they could either kill or avoid Magnus... They could wait for Room to come with the helicopter, and they'd be off this godforsaken island. Overall, shit odds, but it was all they had. Running wide open, the Arctic Cat pulled away. The monsters gave chase. 6:55 a.m. Magnus sat in the BV's front seat, a first aid kit open next to him. His right hand held his k-bar knife, his left pressed a bloody ball of gauze against his thigh, had to stop the bleeding. Blood had already soaked his sock, his shoe, and his pants leg from the knee down. He wondered if the ancestors could track a blood trail. He'd underestimated her He deserved to get shot for being so fucking stupid, walking out in the open like an idiot. First Clayton, now Sarah. Magnus had lost his edge. He'd used the knife to cut open his pant leg. Funny to have his own blood on his knife, but it wasn't the first time. He pulled the gauze back for a look. The torn flesh instantly filled with thick red. Fuck. She'd hit an artery. He jammed the gauze back in pushing until the pain radiated through his entire leg. He'd been to this dance before. Pressure alone probably wouldn't do the trick, and he didn't have time to wait. The wound sat on the outside of his thigh, close to the knee, so he knew it wasn't the femoral artery. Maybe it was the... what was it called? The lateral circumflex? Didn't matter. He had to stop the bleeding and go kill that murdering cunt. He pinched the K-bar between his knees, point up, With his right hand, he reached into the back of the BV, digging around in his canvas bag until he found what he needed. The propane torch. How ironic. How many people had he burned with a torch just like this one? How many lives had he taken with it? And now that same device might save his own. He used his left elbow to keep the gauze jammed into his wound, then opened the valve in the propane tank. He fished the lighter out of his pocket, and lit the torch. Magnus pointed the blue flame at the tip of the knife and waited for the blade to heat up. He'd have to cauterize the wound. Pull off the gauze, stick the knife in, and sear the artery. Then a pressure bandage, and he'd be good to go. No telling if the wound would open up on him again, but it would buy him time, let him move. The blade started to glow red. You're going to pay for this, Sarah. I'll find a way to make you pay over and over again. He wondered if this knife would make it back to Manitoba, if it would join the others on his office wall. He shut off the valve and dropped the propane canister. He held the knife handle with his right hand. The glowing tip hovered just a half inch from the gauze. And where the offense is, let the great axe fall. His left hand pulled the bloody gauze clear, his right Stuck the hot knife point into the bullet hole. Blood bubbled and muscle sizzled, filling the BV's cab with the stench of burning flesh. 6.58 a.m. Klaus Rümkopf sat slouched down in the pilot seat. Only his eyes moved as he watched the last of the ancestors filter past the Sikorsky and up the road leading to the mansion. They were the last stragglers from the pack that chased after Colding and Clayton. He was on the helicopter's right side, looking out the plexiglass pilot's door window. And if he could see out, they could see in, so he had to stay very still. Hard to do when his body shook from both the cold and piercing terror. How could he have been so damn blind? From the first moment the embryo started to take shape, he'd known, somewhere deep inside, that they meant death, not life. It all lined up now, all made a twisted kind of sense. He had shorted Jean's meds to bring out her staggering genius, but doing that also brought back her manic-depressive symptoms, her suicidal urges, and she'd manifested those urges by creating these things. The last of the Ancestors turned down the main road toward the old town. He would wait just a few more minutes, make sure he had time to lift off in case the Sikorsky's engine noise drew them back. Only now, with death all around him, did Klaus realize what kind of a man he was. The Ancestor Project wasn't about saving lives. Not really. It was about creating a living creature. From scratch. Not some bacterium or a virus, not a simple thing with only a few thousand genes, but a large, advanced mammal. Creating life was the sole domain of God. God, and now, Klaus Ruhmkorf. He'd conveniently deluded himself until it was too late. And when there could be no more delusion, when he'd watched his creation almost kill Cappy, he'd had yet another chance to stop everything. When the plane crashed, he should have let the cows die, but his overwhelming hubris controlled his actions. Klaus's breath caught in his throat. Back up the trail, a lone ancestor trotted back out from the main road. It stood at the intersection, a hundred meters away from the helicopter. It seemed to be looking right at him. No, Klaus whispered. Please, no. The ancestor's sail suddenly stood straight up, the translucent yellow membrane, catching the morning sun. Its toothy maw opened wide. Klaus couldn't hear it inside the cockpit, but he knew the creature was roaring a hideous roar, calling its brethren back. He sat up straight in the seat, reached over his head, and pushed the start button for engine one. His frostbitten finger howled in protest, but he easily ignored the pain. The blades started spinning up. His body shook uncontrollably. The lone creature sprinted toward the helicopter with the crazy gait of a top-heavy pit bull. A hundred meters away and closing fast. He turned back to the controls. The N1 gauge read 54% and climbing. He hit the button to start the second engine. He couldn't stop himself from looking up again. The ancestor had closed half the distance, enough that he could see its beady black eyes and massive muscles rippling under black-spotted white fur but that wasn't what froze Klaus's heart in his chest. Behind the monster, the woods seemed to erupt, spewing forth a horrific wave of black and white. They barreled down the narrow road like some barbaric army bearing down on a hated enemy. He pushed the throttle on engine one to the fly position, felt the rotor blade spin up faster. Just a few more seconds, and he'd lift off. Something hit him from the right, driving him into the controls that separated the two front seats. Too much weight to bear, crushing him, then the sensation of something sliding away. He opened his eyes to see a sheet of plexiglass, flopping free and smeared with thick wetness, the window of the pilot door. He started to sit up and push it off when the weight hit him again, driving the back of his head against hard plastic knobs. Plexiglass smashed into his face, flattened his nose, until he absently registered his eyelashes brushing against it with each rapid blink. Through the plexiglass, inches from his face, the ancestor's gaping mouth opened wide. It shot forward and snapped shut, but the inwardly curved teeth scraped against the plexiglass. It opened again, snapped again, and again the deadly points couldn't catch. The helicopter lurched with each lunging bite. Klaus heard and felt claws scratching at the plexiglass, scrambling like a sliding dog trying to find purchase on a linoleum floor. The abomination slid back out a second time. The plexiglass slid out with it. Klaus pushed himself up, his glasses gone, his vision a blur. The ancestor had fallen on its ass. Feet kicked against snow-covered pavement as the big creature awkwardly started to rise. Oh God, oh God, oh God! Klaus reached into his jacket and pulled out the gun Colding had given him. He held it with both hands, his elbows pressed tight to his ribs. The ancestor coiled to leap into the Sikorsky. Klaus heard the first two gunshots before he realized he was firing. His finger danced on the trigger again and again, faster than he knew a gun could fire. The scientific, observant part of his brain noted with fascination that all eleven shots hit the creature in the face. The slide locked on empty. The monster fell, blood gushing nearly neon red against the snow. And beyond the dying animal he had created, Klaus saw the pounding black-and-white blur of the ancestor horde, now only thirty meters away. He dropped the gun. Eyes flicked about the cabin even as his hands reached up, moved the engine two throttle to the fly position. He saw his glasses on the floor and snatched them up. One arm was broken off. The other arm he jammed into his head bandage. The lenses were a little cockeyed, but he could see clearly again. The horde closed to ten meters. The spinning rotor blades finally lifted the Sikorsky. Klaus felt his breath rush out as the leading ancestors reached up for the hull, reached up, and missed. He urged the damaged helicopter forward and headed for the ghost town. The horde of hungry ancestors followed. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday. So make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. 7.01 7.01 AM Colding and Clayton stopped in the trees at the edge of town, a good 20 yards from the nearest building. The tattered, one-eyed moose head of Sven's hunter shop stared at them. Colding needed just a minute to think, but didn't know if he had that much time. He shut off the Arctic Cat's engine and listened. The wind had died away. The woods seemed deathly silent, save for the distant sound of the Sikorsky's rotors slicing through the air. At least Doc had made it off the helicopter pad. Anything behind us? he asked Clayton. Haven't seen them since we got on the road. If they're coming, then we're way ahead of them. Clayton cocked his head to the side and looked up. You hear that? The helicopter sounds grew louder. They were out of time. I hear it, Colding said. If Sarah's in the church, where will she be? If I was her, I'd be in that bell tower. Stairs at the back right side of the altar go up to the choir loft, then a ladder up to the tower. Colding looked up at the tower, hoping to see her face. He saw no movement. Someone could be up there looking right down at him, and if they stayed still, he wouldn't see them at all. He chewed on his lower lip. They didn't even know if Sarah and Tim were here. Maybe Gary had made it, taken them off the island. Maybe Magnus had already killed them. No way of knowing. Colden could, however, make sure they weren't still waiting. And all he had to do was risk his life to find out. Clayton, we're going as soon as Doc flies over. That might draw Magnus out. Give us a chance to kill him. Clayton leaned out and looked across the open town circle. We'll be exposed for looks like ten or fifteen seconds. Can Magnus get us that quick? Colding nodded. If he's ready, or if he heard us coming, yeah, he could take us out. Just depends on where he is. And if we get to the church and he's already inside? Colding paused. Anger started to replace his fear. Then we kill him. Clayton nodded fiercely. That's the first time I've heard you say something that made sense. You drive, I'll shoot. Colding started the Arctic Cat and waited for the Sikorsky to fly over. 7.03 AM Inside the church, Tim looked up at the ceiling. Sarah, do you hear that? Sarah listened. I don't hear anything. It's getting louder. I think it sounds like... She heard it, faintly, but she heard it. Like a helicopter. They rushed up the ladder to the turret's trap door. 7.04 a.m. Magnus heard the flutter of rotor blades. Helicopter approaching. He'd seen both Dante and Bobby go down. That left only one person who could fly the Sikorsky. Ruhmkorf, the man who had murdered his brother. I've got something special for you, Doc. Yes, I do. He reached into the back seat. 7.05 a.m. The Sikorsky's engine hum dopplered into a roar as it flew directly over Colding's position. The helicopter slowed and started to circle back toward the well. Clayton, we're going. If you see Magnus, just start shooting. You think? Just drive, asshole. Colding gunned the engine. The Arctic cat shot out into the open. Sarah had never seen a sight so beautiful, a Sikorsky S-76C, Bobby Valentine's ride, coming in low. And she saw something else, down on the ground, something far better. Even bundled up in the snowsuit, she knew it was colding on that snowmobile. Clayton was on the seat behind him, holding a Uzi with one hand. Hope and love exploded in Sarah's chest. They could make it but Magnus was still out there somewhere. He could kill Colding at any second. Sarah looked around the town circle, trying to spot the big man. There, by the old log lodge, Magnus. When she saw what he held, that feeling of hope crumbled and died. Magnus tracked through the Stinger's viewfinder. If Room hadn't made these abominations in the first place, Dante would still be alive. Klaus Rumkorf was a murderer. Breathe your last, motherfucker. Magnus pushed the firing button. 7.06 AM Sarah, Tim, Colding, Clayton, and Magnus watched the Stinger missile's flashing white trail. Oddly, the intended target was busy trying to readjust his bobbling, broken glasses. Klaus Rumkorf never saw it coming. The five-foot missile homed in on the Sikorsky's hot exhaust. Rumkorf had swung the chopper around to face the town center, just in time for the missile to slice into the cockpit window. The warhead exploded on contact blossoming into a brilliant orange fireball. Sikorsky pieces and streams of burning fuel rained down on the old town. The helicopter exploded above the snowmobile's forward path. Colding yanked the steering handles hard right, away from the church. The sudden movement caught Clayton unaware and threw him from the seat. He slammed into the snowy ground, rolled once, then skidded to a halt. He didn't move. Colding managed to stay seated as he fought for control. Burning wreckage rained down around him. He squeezed the brakes and pulled hard left as the tail shaft, rotor still spinning, crashed into the ground in front of him. He'd turned too sharply this time. The snowmobile pitched on its right side. Colding dove free before the machine rolled three full, horizontal, rattling times. It landed on its skids. The fiberglass body shattered beyond repair. Colding hit hard. He smelled burning feathers before he felt the heat, before he realized his jacket sleeve was on fire. He rolled on the ground, pushing his burning arm into the snow. The flames hissed out before he suffered any serious damage. He stood, smoke and steam rising from his ruined sleeve, a murderous gaze fixed on his face. He unslung the SA-80 rifle and looked for his target. A voice from behind. Drop it, Bubba. Fury. Fear. Colding shook. He fought the urge to whirl around and open up with the SA-80. He wouldn't even make a quarter turn before Magnus gunned him down. There was nothing he could do. Colding dropped the rifle. And the Beretta, Magnus said. Slow. Colding slowly pulled the Beretta from inside his snowsuit and tossed it away. It fell into the snow and vanished. Now put your hands in the air and turn around. You and I have a date with a hot little lady. 7.08 a.m. A large gush of burning fuel had set the log lodge ablaze. Sarah watched long flames rise up into the morning sky, whipped to and fro by the returning wind. She figured the old wooden structure would be completely engulfed by flames within fifteen minutes. Several of the town's buildings smoldered or burned. The Sikorsky-Stinger combo would finish the work begun by a mine accident some fifty years ago. Far worse, the church itself was about to go up in flames. A chunk of engine had spun wildly into the air, arcing a good 30 yards before slamming into the church roof. Small flames glowed, seeking purchase through the slate shingles to the old wood beneath. From her spot in the bell tower, Sarah couldn't get near the flames. Even if she could, she had nothing with which to put them out. The tower stone turret wouldn't save them. When the fire caught full force, she and Tim would be cooked from below if the smoke didn't kill them first. Tim, we have to move! Fuck that, Tim said. The helicopter, the explosion, the noise will bring the monsters. We run or we roast. Let's go. Tim paused, but only for a second. Then Crutch walked to the trap door. Sarah opened it for him. Tim started his awkward climb down. Then they heard Death speak out loud. Sarah! Magnus's voice, from inside the church. Sarah! I've got someone here to see you. Blazing rage pulled Sarah's lip back into a snarl, even while an urge to run and hide made her stomach clench. Fear or no fear, there was only one way out, and that was over Magnus Paglione's dead body. Stay up here, she said to Tim. I've got to take care of this. She descended the ladder. A.M. A gun at his back, Colding stood in the church's center aisle amid the broken and moldy pews. The place already smelled of smoke. Small fires burned the rafters on his left, filling the church with a flickering light. Up above, a few sunbeams filtered through the stained glass of the Twelve Apostles. On his right, up in the choir loft, he caught a glimpse of someone deep in the shadows. Sarah. Behind him, Magnus saw her too. "'Tis the east,' Magnus called up to the loft. "'And fair Sarah is the sun. I brought your boyfriend for a little visit.' Magnus had a tight hold on the hood of Colding's parka, keeping him at arm's length. Magnus was too smart to jam a gun into Colding's back, where a sudden move might point the barrel at empty space. Colding knew the MP5 would be low on Magnus's hip, If Colding spun and made a move, the MP5 would blow his ribs and stomach to pieces. More movement from the loft, just a hint, and from a different place. You think I give a fuck about that piece of shit? The voice came from the shadows. That bastard sent me to die. Oh, come on, Magnus said. You know that was me. Bullshit! I'll shoot both of you right now. And this time, Magnus, I'll finish the job. Colding looked toward the sound of her voice, but he couldn't see her in the lost dark depths. Damn, but she was smart. Colding's right hand made a fist, his index finger pointing out, his thumb up, the shape of a gun. He slowly moved his left hand and pointed at his chest. He had no idea if she'd understand, or even do it. And if her aim was off at all, Clayton raised his head. Oh, I need a vacation. The old town burned all around him. He had a broken left leg, the creatures were coming, and some Canadian shit-eater had cut off his pinky. He stayed low and still, trying to take it all in before he did anything. Movement on his left, about 20 yards away, at the edge of town where the trail led into the woods. A flash of fleshy yellow. Burning wreckage surrounded him, blurring the air with shimmering waves of heat. If he stayed still, it might hide him from the creatures for a few minutes. But if he didn't move, sooner or later, they'd get him. Clayton slowly turned his head to the right. The lodge was on fire, the dry old wood glowing red from flames that shot thirty feet into the air. No shelter there. But behind the lodge, just past the hazy flames he glimpsed a small bit of a familiar black-and-white pattern. Clayton grimaced, readied himself for the pain, then started crawling. 7.10 a.m. The fire in the rafters spread slowly but steadily, filling the church with a spastic, flickering light. Shadows jumped, making the pews and the big crucifix vibrate with evil life. Do it, Colding thought, as if she might somehow read his mind. Do it. Shoot me. Magnus stayed behind Colding, but kept calling up to the loft. Sarah, why don't you send Feely down? I'll trade you for Colding. I don't need you, I just need Feely. You don't know enough to be a danger to me. Then why did you try to kill me? Her voice came from yet another spot. I didn't try to kill you. I tried to kill Feely and Rumkorf. You were in the wrong place at the wrong time. So was my crew. That's why we gave you hazard pay, Magnus said. Use your head. Jean is dead. Rumkorf is dead. Now all I need is Tim and this is over. You and Colding can go on your way. If you make it off the island more power to you. At least then you'd have a chance. What do you say to that? Silence. What good is Colding to me if he's dead? He's not dead, Magnus said. He's standing, right? A gunshot roared out. Colding felt a sledgehammer slam into his chest. He instinctively jerked backward, his feet caught on a pew, and he toppled into Magnus. Holding landed on his right side, then flopped face down and didn't move. Magnus slid his body half under a pew, hoping the forty-caliber bullets couldn't punch through it. Another shot rang out; the bullet smacked into the frozen, rotted wood. "What do you think of that, Magnus?" the loft shadows called out. "Now you ain't got shit to trade, you sick fuck." He popped up from behind the pew and opened fire on the choir loft. The wood railing came apart in a shower of splinters. Sarah popped up in yet another new spot. Magnus ducked back down just as she fired again. Sarah stayed on her belly, shooting between the spokes of the choir loft's rail. The madly flickering firelight made it hard to target Magnus, who kept crawling around under the pews and popping up to spray the loft with bullets. Sarah could barely breathe from the smoke. She had two shots left, maybe three. Damn it, she'd lost count. I shot him. He wanted me to shoot him. Colding had to be wearing a bulletproof vest. That was the only reason he would want her to do it. Shooting him had robbed Magnus of the human shield— and in a twisted way taken Colding out of danger. She silently prayed that she hadn't somehow misunderstood his signals. That she hadn't just killed the man she loved. Sarah pushed herself back from the loft's edge so that she was out of Magnus' line of sight. She rolled several times to her left. Had to keep moving. A burning feeling shot up her leg. She kicked, knocking away a smoldering piece of rafter. Flames crawled across the ceiling above her. Sarah rolled a few more times, carrying her away from the hot spot. She lay flat and eased herself back to the loft's edge. You have been listening to Ancestor by Scott Sigler. Performed by the author. Produced by Empty Set Entertainment.